North Light Community Center joined with Jesse Kohler. And today we have Jenna Key Bright and Peggy Savage here from Read to Succeed. We're going to discuss the Read to Succeed program. So, Jenna Key, can you answer what is your organization's mission and vision? The mission and vision of the organization is pretty simple. We're just here to prevent summer slide in children. What is Summer Slide? Also, because I don't think we got to it, if both of you want to take a second to introduce yourselves, uh, you can do that as well. I'm Peggy Savage. I was a uh, site coordinator at the North um, Light Community Center. I'm also a teacher, fifth grade teacher, 38 years with the school district. <laughs> I'm Jenny K. Bright. I'm the program director for Read to Succeed program. I'm also 22 years in education and now an instructional support specialist. That's awesome. So what is Summer Slide? Summer Slide is what children ex students experience during the summer months that regresses their reading levels. Um, depending on economics, students can regress anywhere from several months to several years during summer. Wow. Yeah, so, what got the Read to Succeed programs estab uh, started? How was it established? Senator Vincent Hughes. Senator Vincent Hughes was in Harrisburg, um, and he had just received the results of the PSSA scores for third grade, and he was astonished, um, and not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> so, he sped down, well, he didn't speed, but he came back down 76 towards Philadelphia, and on his way back, he was calling um, the PFT, and other organizations saying we need to meet because we need to get something in place right now. Um, that right now, which the PFT thought was September, <laughs> became in two weeks. So in two weeks, seven years ago, um, the Read to Succeed program was born. So can you describe the Read to Succeed program and what it has to offer? Yeah, so the Read to Succeed program is a three-hour program that is done during a four-week summer and where we hire wonderful staff <laughs> and experienced staff like Peggy Savage, who's been with us for the whole seven years. Yay, Peggy! <laughs> to provide literacy-based activities to continue to prevent summer sliding children. Um, innovative, fun, so we're not necessarily a school program. We still wanna realize it's summer, we wanna have fun, but we're basically championing literacy activities and development. Anything you wanna add, Peggy? Well, I see it as a uh, an opportunity for children to practice uh, skills that they learn during the, during the school year, but also any new skills that we offer them uh, to help them read and uh, get better. As a fifth grade teacher, it's nice to see children to come into September already knowing, hey, you know what? I've read three books over the summer. I'm ready to go. Yeah. I remember as a kid when I was going back to school, like if I didn't read, which some summers I did, some summers I didn't, it depended on if I liked the teacher, there, there were a number of factors. <laughs> but how, what's the difference in like lethargy even when kids get back into school in September? Can you tell the difference as a teacher if they did their work, if they didn't? I mean, is, is it very clear to see? Now my fourth graders that are, that are coming into fifth grade, uh, basically, I had a chat and chew with them in June. So I challenged them. I said, hey, you know, I usually read about 10 books over the summer. 
can you guys read five and then come back and give me your list and I have a prize for you. So as soon as they walk into my room, I have this little prize bag, bucket, they give me their list and some kids read five, some kids read 10 and there's a few that don't read at all. And they say, well, I didn't have time, you know, and I said, well, you know what? You'll get all that back. Don't worry about it. So yes, I can tell the difference. Yeah. So can you describe some other ways that this program benefits children over the summer? As, it's funny you say that, John, because I'm reading down the surveys um, that the families conducted, and what was very what stood out in a lot of the surveys was the kids were able to make friends. So, especially in this time where bullying is taking mm. over in the classroom and just social skills, one of the besides the reading, of course, but one of the things that stood out on the surveys was that the children were happy to come every day because they were happy to be with new friends and they felt welcome. And I would say in your setting at Northlight, um, you have this thing where some kids will come maybe two or three weeks at a time. Some kids might be coming on the third week. And I never, ever saw a child not without someone that they could read to, they could buddy up with. It's a, it's a nice system that you have at Northlight. It's nice yeah. to see. One thing I want to say is my two nephews were in Read to Succeed. My oldest nephew, he can read proficiently. He's beyond his um, grade level. My youngest nephew is delayed in his reading, and he struggles with reading and always has. Uh, to see them happy to go to this program on a regular basis and exhausted at the end of the day, <laughs> but excited every morning to go to uh, the Reads program, it was amazing. And I was astonished to see how well the children worked with this program. The concern was always, oh, my child has to go to school, and they just want to have fun in summer. But the program really was fun and exciting throughout the course of the programming. I agree. I yeah. also think the mixture of uh, your activities for the kids throughout mm -hmm. the course of the day blended with what we did was a great partnership for the kids. Instead of me talking about it, when you say your activities, do you just mind explaining what so, those are? So when we're, when we're finished with the Read to Succeed portion and then there's lunch, uh, sometimes some of the classes have like a specialist like we had somebody that sang and played the piano and we had somebody that did um, Outdoors Adventures I mm -hmm. think it was called and that was fabulous and he had his kids in the program too mm -hmm. yeah. as well yeah yes so what are the goals of the Reads program I mean Read to Succeed Read to Succeed program. R2S R2S <laughs> not Reads yes the ultimate goal of the Read to Succeed program is not just preventing summer slide, but as you guys are saying and listening, for kids to have find that love of literacy and understanding it's not necessarily a textbook and open a textbook and I'm reading for a grade, but when I'm engaged in the outdoor, outdoor activities, I'm utilizing those reading skills. When I'm doing math, I'm utilizing reading skills. When I'm playing Fortnite, I'm utilizing <laughs> those reading skills that it's not just, you're not just reading when you're opening a book, it's in conversation, it's an in interaction, it's what you heard, what you saw, all of those components is really what reading is, not just opening up a book and turning to page two, and then we start reading. So the last two answers, you kind of started to touch on how building literacy can also improve socialization, and perhaps it also works the other way around. Mm -hmm. um, can you just expand into that window a little bit more. So one of the major components, when we hear about reading, you hear reading and writing. But there's two other components that, well, three, <laughs> that are often <laughs> left out. 
And speaking and listening yes. are one of the main components of reading. And often you don't hear about that being addressed. You hear about in order for children to be able to write, they have to read. In order for children to read, they have to write. You know, and all of that back and forth. But really, only in order for children to understand and comprehend, they have to talk about what they've heard. So they have to listen. They have to speak. They have to be able to have a conversation with one another to kind of express their ideas. It's not a right or wrong thing. It's about what your interpretation is, what you feel, bringing your back background knowledge into any situation. And the other thing is um, our first week, we asked counselors, teachers, parents, everyone, what is your favorite, favorite book and why? My goodness, a 10 to 12 year olds. Well, I've read every single book in the Harry Potter series. I was like, that's wonderful. Which one is your favorite? So I got to have a dialogue with this child. And I said, well, have you read Artemis Fowl? And what do you think about that? So it, it generates a lot of conversation and it helps you practice listening skills. So that was a good activity that we had that first week. Yeah. Did we address where parents can uh, find out more about the program yet? I don't want to skip over that question. No, we haven't addressed that. Do you mind if I ask that real quick? <laughs> Just let us give a plug. Sure. And then we can move on. Of course, you can always contact North Light to find out about <laughs> our Thank program. You. But also, you can go to our website, www.read2succeedphiladelphia.com. You can follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And again, you can contact North Light. At northlightcommunitycenter.org, you can find all of our contact And info don't forget, there. you can go to Senator Vincent Hughes' website as well, because he has it on his website. All right, so there's a bunch of ways to go find out more. John, we can go back to where you were at. Sorry about that. Speaking of Northlight, let's talk about the outcome that you got from Northlight Community Center. What was the outcome of children who started out in the Read to Succeed program and at the end of the Read to Succeed program? What was the progress overall? So I would say in the 10 to 12 year old group, we had about 16 students, uh, 14 out of 16 went up a reading level when we did the San Diego quick assessment and two stayed the same. So no one lost ground. Um, in the eight to nine, that was a big group. <laughs> uh, I think it was something like 25 and 24 out of 25 went up in reading level and one child wasn't there. And the 67, um, same kind of data, um, all the kids, matter of fact, I think all the kids in the 67 went up a level. And the little baby four to fives. <laughs> Which was an experiment this year. They, no, 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 no. They stayed the same and three went up in level. And then one little girl said, I can read these three. <laughs> me. Wait, she pointed to the words, me, all, and you. And I said, I'm so very proud. She said, but I don't think I can read anymore. I said, you know what? You did a great job. I'm so proud of you. So. And you're providing the building blocks for exactly. her to continue. Exactly. Oh if my a four goodness. and five-year-old can read a few words. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so what was the difference between having the R2S program in a school setting as opposed to the community center setting? In your experience. I had to learn my way around the building. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the children were able to become more well-rounded um, at the community center approach. So it wasn't just the academic focus. Um, they were able to have different experiences than may, they may or may not be able to have during a school year or in their normal um, communities. So I think 
and thank you for asking us to come yes. back again yes. for next year. <laughs> but to be able to strengthen that and figuring out how we can offer that to other students and other children to have the same experience. I think that's awesome. One thing I do know is building literacy is essential in every child's, um, child's life. The biggest problem that I had when I was younger is I knew how to read, I knew how to write, but I did not know how to speak and talk in front of crowds and everything. And that's something that I've always struggled with. Um, that's why I also went to acting class just to try to build my communication and my speech right. and articulation. Uh, the Read to Succeed program has been very beneficial in that way, building children's language, building their development over time. So I want to ask you, how can a parent build the, their child's language for the toddlers in their early years before they start kindergarten? So I would say, um, you know, while you're communicating with your little one, and it's all about pointing and, uh, and that kind of thing, yes. uh, for a parent, I would label and I would say to, like, if the child is pointing to the microphone, I would say, oh, you want to hold the microphone mm -hmm. and, you know, try to help your child, like, elicit some type of conversation with you. But I labeled everything in the house. My ex used to say, uh, you're labeling the TV? I said, no, it's the television. So that way my daughters could say, mommy, grandma has three televisions. So at two, three, four years old, they were able to talk. And I think it's important for parents to know that you don't have to go out and buy an expensive program. You could do something that's just very, very simple. I would also add just having a conversation such as, okay, so what would you like to eat for dinner tonight? Why? Um, something I would do with my children. Well, mommy, I want McDonald's. Well, why would you like McDonald's? Because I like their chicken nuggets. Well, why not go to Wendy's? <laughs> you know, because McDonald's chicken nuggets, well, actually they would say the Happy Meal Project is better <laughs> at McDonald's <laughs> than Wendy's. And you would have this, these comments, and you would keep asking the whys, asking the question, giving them the, give you their reasoning because you're developing their schema. Their schema. You're developing their comprehension skills. You're, you're giving them a chance to talk in a framework of something that they are aware of and they know of and they're comfortable so having that conversation not just saying you know what store you want to go to okay let's keep asking questions now of course at the end i would say well we're going home and have dinner because we're not going to either one but <laughs> <laughs> but you have the conversation <laughs> but it kept the ride from right, right. saying are we there yet are we there yet so we would have these different conversations we would pass cars oh i see five blue cars how many mm -hmm. blue cars do you see mm -hmm. You know, um, trees, we would count trees. What type of trees do you see? Big trees, you know. Well, that, you know, my daughter would say, well, that tree needs more leaves or, you know, something. But why do you think that? Or what would happen? So you're just asking questions and having a conversation. And they, you'll be surprised with what they'll respond back to. Um, and by doing that, because they can relate to pictures. They can see. Mm -hmm. So even when you pick up a book, have them tell you what the story is about. Even if it's not really what the words on the page say. Have them tell you, based on their mindset, their experiences, this is what's going on. And you'd be surprised what they may pick up. Like, oh, we were reading Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, mommy, that 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 wolf is mean. Well, how do you know that wolf is mean? Look at the face. He's frowning. You know, so those type of things will have a child start having a conversation. So it's not necessarily like, here's a, here's a test. Let me see how many words you can read. Or let me see if you can read this book. But what experiences are there getting? And that'll t let you know a whole lot more right. than... Oh, my child's not picking up a book. I'm not sure. But your child's having conversation. But the other thing that can happen, too. Um, so I am the special ed friendly teacher in fifth grade. 
So I have um, a lot of students who have IEPs and at least for children who are autistic. And sometimes they can't write. Mm -hmm. But my philosophy is if you can write it, you can read it because it's something that you wrote. So I have blank books for them. So when they're trying to communicate to me, they sketch and they're sketching and they're sketching. So I'll walk over and I'll say, wow, I'm not sure, what is that? And then they're able to tell me, but while they're telling me, I'm labeling what they're saying. So I think, you know, there's all types of approaches, but I think, you know, a child needs to be able to sketch, doodle and draw, you know, a blank book is awesome. <laughs> blank book is awesome. Yeah. Yes. So, Got it. so it sounds like it's as much about the interpretation of the information and that's what mm -hmm. literacy and more important, it sounds like we're talking more almost about comprehension and that being the important note. It's not just reading words off a page, right. like you right. said. It's it's actually the child finding and understanding mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. some greater meaning or purpose from what they're reading and being able mm -hmm. to associate and communicate that. And a child right. making inferences exactly. based on what they know also. Mm -hmm. That's a tough skill for intermediate students to, mm -hmm. to know. To basically so that being said what would you do if a parent as a parent what would you do if you noticed you've done all the tips that you recommended you're reading to the child you're speaking trying to build their language on a regular basis but the child is still delayed in their reading ability or comprehension what tips or resources should a parent take advantage of besides the doodling as you <laughs> said well, well one make sure reading or looking at a book is favorable in the household because oftentimes, you know, children emulate our behaviors. If we don't pick up a book, they're not going to pick up a book. If we say, I don't want to do this, they're not going to want to do this. The other thing is make it fun. You know, maybe the book is intimidating. Even for adults, they don't want to pick up a book because for them, like, I wasn't a really good reader, so I'm not going to pick up a book. It's intimidating. But if we take a book and say, mm, what do you think is going to happen? And let's just act it out. Mm -hmm. Let's just create our own characters from it. We can draw, we can make characters, we can make our setting, we can go outside and pretend. It's okay to be a little silly outside in public with your children, trust me. <laughs> They're your excuse, you can say I have kids. <laughs> <laughs> but some, it's just the strategies. Also, you know, emulating the behavior. This is what you want, you show them like, wow, you make it like it's the best thing happening. Um, and you expose them to areas where they can see that. So if they're going to the museum, make that like an adventure. Um, the zoo, make that an adventure, make everything an adventure, make it fun. And just think as an adult, you don't want to do something unless it's fun. If it's fun, you're more likely to say, hey, sign me up. If it's not fun, you're like, oh, let me check my calendar. <laughs> so children pretty much have that same approach. No, I definitely agree with that. One thing I would notice is dealing with my youngest nephew. I, my oldest nephew never have to tell him to read. I never use reading as a consequence because I know oh, that... Well, no, no. It, it's essential never to use reading as a consequence because a lot of times that will make the child not want to read. It becomes negatively associated. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And what by making it a reward for him, he's I say, no TV, let's read instead. He's excited. It's like, all right, let's read. We also did the same thing with food, eating healthy and everything. He's more prone to eating healthier than unhealthy. I'm still working on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all about the exposure, though, like That's you said. That's true. And, making sure to introduce those things but how does a p reading and literacy help the cognitive development over time how does that benefit the child over time well i would say reading like reading to your children 
is a cognitive um, benefit. Mm -hmm. uh, the children get to interact with the text. Uh, the kids learn about social norms, you know. Um, they may even learn how a man treats a woman in, in some of the fairy tales. So I think it's a good way for parents to just connect with their, their kids. And if a parent's not comfortable with reading, there's the audible books. Like they can, li they can listen with the child, but have the book there and listen and, and, you know, have the child turn the page when it's time to turn the page. So, yes, cognitive development is definitely part of parent reading to child, child interacting with text. So does, does that help the child over time make the one-to-one -one correspondent to the words and the um, items like earlier you listed by posting different pictures and putting the words, does that help them register, okay, by me reading this book, this action happened. This is the response that I should take. Is that basically what you're saying? I would, I would say that word recognition is part of it, but also like in my, my classroom, we don't just do like one word. We might do word families, for example. Like if, you know, you see the egg in the picture to the egg, underneath you might see eggs and you might see like a dozen of eggs. So they, they, they're making the association with the picture, but they're also makes, making the association with affixes, like egg and then you add the S to the end. Yes. And believe it or not, when kids are trying to read flu fluently, some kids will leave affixes off the end of the words. So that's something that they kind of need to practice. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it helps their critical thinking yes, skills. Yes, yes. For parents who may not have strong literacy skills, mm -hmm. um, so there's a concept that I've been learning about called parallel processing, where the teacher and the students kind of almost flow on the same wavelength. Mm -hmm. So if there's a parent out there listening who doesn't have the strongest reading skills, is there a benefit to, as you said, buying an audio book following along with the child and almost learning to read with the child from a young age. I mean, not only would that benefit the parent, obviously, but is that in and of itself a benefit to the child as opposed to parallel processing at night with a parent who looks at a book and says, I'm not touching that. The beauty is that now with YouTube and a lot of, and Google and things <laughs> out on the web, a lot of books are recreated um, and done could be a money maker for you and your parent. You can <laughs> make, look at Ryan now, you know, make these videos. <laughs> but um, that you can see a lot of books online. So not only you're listening, you can actually see the book being read or seeing like a PowerPoint or presentation of the book mm -hmm. online. So yes, that is a way. Um, but there's also something called the library. where What's that? The library. <laughs> the free, free library. <laughs> free library. <laughs> where you can actually go, especially now when it's hot, when the heat, where they have air conditioning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> air conditioning. But no, but seriously, but they host a lot of events, a lot of family events. Um, Read by Fourth hosts a lot of literacy events. There's a lot of information out there where resources they'll bring to the families. They'll conduct in-home readings with the family. So it doesn't have to be on the parent. You have a community network that's there to support um, this development. So please, as parents, don't feel like it has to be me and right. only me. There's so much out there. Mm -hmm. But one thing, as an educator, what I would like to suggest, especially as we enter the school season soon, please check in with your child's teacher. Please check in with the relationship that your child has with their teacher. That will determine your child's positive or negative experience with school. 
side question based off that. What is the importance of the parent-teacher relationship for the child's well-being? How does that, in, like, does that impact? Uh, yeah, yeah, because you could see that the teacher and the parent are on the same page, that they care about the child and they want the best for the child. So when the child is having an issue or they want to say to you, I can't do this, you know that between the child, the grandparent, whomever, um, you're going to get this done. Yeah. Oh, another resource. I'm sorry. Um, so the Screen Actors Guild has a I web. Know. Oh, I'm sorry. I know the Screen Actors Guild. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it has a website called storybook.org. Mm -hmm. And you have actors and actresses that will read books online with the book in front of them. And it's it's free for parents. Ooh. No, you're good. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, no, Please. that was fine. I, I think that's essential. But one thing I wanted to also talk to you about is building languages mm -hmm. and foreign languages and the uh, benefits of using foreign language in early age, at the early age. See, I can't speak. <laughs> it's funny. I don't call it foreign language. Yeah. I call it another language. Because you language. have. It's you foreign. Have, I understand. Only but from you, but, but the in certain families, I mean, in South Philly. You have Italian parents that speak, and grandparents mm -hmm. that speak Italian, yes. like all day to their kids almost. Mm -hmm. You have Jewish parents that speak Yiddish or Hebrew. So when we say foreign, I I look at another language like it's math. My daughter, my youngest daughter speaks fluent Italian. My oldest daughter speaks fluent French. And yes, we started them at two. You started them at yes. two. And yeah. I think it's a benefit. It, it, it's part of critical thinking. It is part of the critical thinking process, and I think that will have a huge benefit. And just with language development, um, English is one of the hardest language <laughs> to learn um, out of all the languages. Yes. So as a child learning these different other languages, they may acquire those languages faster because just the semantics are a lot easier mm -hmm. to understand as opposed to the double negatives or you can't say this or, you know, this is not said like this. So there's many benefits to a child learning um another language at an early age and being exposed to that language. And I saw that at work in the four and five year olds. They were something else. The little boy said, I speak Greek. The little girl said, I speak Spanish. And then somebody else said, well, I speak Italian. And they were on the rug playing, you know, waiting to get ready for their lessons. I said, this is the way that it should be. Exactly. Diversity. Yes. Well, true, quick, funny story. I was in Florida and, you know, you have your professional voice. But I was at the airport, had finished on this professional development, and I went into the restaurant, and I was just like, can I get a glass of water? <laughs> <laughs> and the wait, because I, I really tried to practice water, saying water, but the Philly in me says water. And the waitress said, oh, you speak Philly. <laughs> like, <laughs> she knew you already. <laughs> so I mean, when you said, I say another language, it's a foreign language, like, wow, here, but that's perceived as a whole different language uh -huh. because it was just like, it stood out that I was from Philadelphia. Yeah. So she was talking dialect, not necessarily language. Right. That's a great correlation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the next part that we wanted to talk about was how literacy is impacted by screen time and social media and how that's kind of, you know, taken over the world. Some of it's good, like the YouTube videos. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Not all of it is. So, you know, I mean, um, you know, how does social media, I guess that it both can help and impair, could be a double-edged sword, right? Um, but how does it impact a child's reading ability? 
But there's also screen time at school uh, because kids have to take an online Ames web test. They have to do other things online. They take their benchmarks online. So there's a lot of screen time on and school settings as well. So basically you need to try to balance that out for the kids. You know, they shouldn't be, or um, oh, what's the other one? Lexia Core 5. Like some kids may have, um, so that's like a reading program online created for children who need to practice being good at phonics and stuff like that. So some kids may have like a, a 40 minute protocol for the week, for the week. Some may have a 60, some may have an 80 minute protocol for the week. So you have to segment it so that kid is not sitting in front of that screen for 80 minutes in one day. So it, it can have a negative um, impact, especially if the kid's eyes are sore, uh, if they have glasses, they're taking the glasses off, they can't see because they're just tired of looking at that screen. So that can be a negative impact. So the Read to Succeed program, also every year, um, we're asked by staff, we're asked by family about incorporating technology. And my, my always toss back is, well, technology is a pencil. So what, you know, what are you referring to when you're saying technology? And we're pretty much a by the basics program. Um, what screen time or web access gives you is just more information faster. However, when you see children look at the books and pick up the books and be able to turn the page, the excitement and I'm going to say for myself because you guys are a lot younger than I am. <laughs> it's I the same. One time. The excitement that the children have when they're when they see the book, can touch the book, can kind of feel that can't. No matter how much touch screen you have and all of that, it's just not the same. Um, and even when you're working with a child one on one, that is, the screen is not going to always be available. What happens in a blackout? We've been having a series right. of blackouts right. lately. And now parents are like, what do I do? Like, because you don't have that screen to give to your child. Get a book, play a game. Um, so I'm more on the paper book side than I am for screen time. I think there's sometimes when we all need our downtime and you can have your screen, quote unquote, time, but it should be limited. It should be like we say, we try to get kids to read 20 minutes a day. Well, maybe your screen time should be 20 minutes a day and being able to find other ways of utilizing that time and well, this year we incorporated mindfulness into our program but the big key about mindfulness is being present and it's really hard to be present when you're online because right. you're trying to figure out how to navigate online as opposed to just being the here and now and I'm with you I would say uh, sixth grade well pre-k to sixth grade if you're doing a daily thing it shouldn't be more than 30 minutes screen time it really shouldn't especially pre-k to maybe first i mean their eyes are still developing so if there's basically have their face in the screen they're not helping their eye movement exactly. it's just not good and especially a lot of the children's programming is so intense with the color especially the animated it's right. ju it's just flashing right. it almost dulls n numbs them to the rest mm -hmm. of the world like you know a book isn't as interesting when you're especially from a young age because neural circuitry is so heavily built in the first nine months in vitro and then the first two years of life you know that's kind of where a lot of our brains begin to develop and then we build on top of that and so when that's just flushed with all these colors and sounds right. and nonsense truly as someone who grew up in the 90s and the, and the on screen the, the, the screen time basically just makes you a passive learner 
You're not really thinking. And even if you had a control, you're basically doing this. Right. You're not, like, you haven't developed an algorithm for iOS or Apple or anything like that. You're just... Using what someone else coded. Right. Mm -hmm. But what I'm noticing in the community, there are so many zombies out there. Like, they don't want to do anything with their time other than be on a screen. And I was talking to a student recently who I've worked with for years, and I asked him where does he get his news. And his rebuttal was... Facebook, Instagram, they give me my news. And I'm like, no, because they aren't factual. But what do you think, um, does social media help or impair the child's reading ability or as they grow up? Does it help them get the information or does it impair them by them not getting factual information? It helps them get factual, non-factual information faster. But it, it studies have shown um, children's reading level, no matter... With all this advanced technology that's out there, reading levels are dropping. Yes. So, is it is screen time technology um, an advantage? I want to say no. I agree. So studies are now showing it's not working. It's not so. You're seeing a lot of people going back to the basics, taking away less screen time, taking away. I mean, at one point, if your school didn't have the whiteboard and all oh, of the that, smart the smart boards, you know, but uh, what happened was the smart boards weren't so smart. They started crashing. So then teachers were left, especially the newer teachers who that's where they, how they learn how to become teachers going smart boards. They didn't know what to do. So now my smart board's not working. Oh, I guess we're going to put our heads down or we're going to just, you know, I don't know. And I'm panicking and we're just not going to do anything today as opposed to no, you know, but if everything is digitalized, everything is there, it did handicap them. So you have that. Um, there are, I mean, there's always advantages to most things. However, um, limiting our screen time, limiting our focus on the need to get things faster. When I started going to the library, there was a card catalog. You know, um, when we started watching videos, you had to pray when you went to Blockbuster that the video was no that was still there. <laughs> yeah, got I remember there. that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you try to get there first to reserve your. So there are different things, but what that taught us was waiting, and not instant gratification. And now children are becoming frustrated faster because if they're not acquiring these literacy skills just like like that, then they're thinking, "I can't read something wrong with me," as opposed to notice a process. Mm -hmm. And the children are learning losing the understanding of the process. Adults were losing understanding of the process. You know, if something is not, you watch on their phone, my phone must be broken if it doesn't load within two seconds. I also think that when they don't pick up a book and they stay on the screen, um, they have the propensity to be more violent because that's what they're watching. Yes. And if a parent, a grandparent, guardian is not monitoring what they're watching, they come to school thinking that whatever happened and one of the videos that was M.A., because it's not for me, I can just go and do that while I'm at school. So I think we need them to pick up books. We and need them to put down the media. I thought that I, I think that I remember a statistic that I hope you know because we didn't prep you with this question, okay. so I apologize. But is there some sort of a statistic about higher literacy skills or better socialization skills when there are books in the household? or when they go to a library and books are present, like just physically I'm in their sure, lives? I'm not sure, but I know that um, the last literacy statistic I checked for um, literacy rate, um, there's 32 million adults in this country that are illiterate, that barely can read a fifth, 
grade level. So I'm not, you know, I need to check into that. I'm glad you brought that up, but I do know the statistic about illiteracy. That is 10% of the U.S. population, mm -hmm. about. So that, mm -hmm. well, that is shocking. Very shocking. Look like, did you have a response or? Um, I'm, I was going to say the latest statistic. I saw thinking about summer reading and just coming back and why we, we do that. Um, if a child's exposed to at least four books on the summertime, they're able to maintain their reading mm -hmm. level. So when we look at the program every year, we try to make sure that children are exposed to at least five books a day. Um, so we have phenomenal instructors. Case in point, we have uh, in-site directors with Peggy and the staff that was at North Light. But the primary mission was making sure those children were exposed to those books each and every day so that we can start preventing not just summer slide, but that adult literacy rate. Um, we've been contacted by other organizations who work with high school students and postgraduates, high school graduates, asking if we can come out with a program because what happens is these high school students are graduating, but they can't. So when they give them like the basic skills test to be able to do it, they can't do it. They're unable to do it. They were able somehow to pass an assessment but they have no idea of just basic knowledge and how to go about it. Here's a situation, what would you do? They wanna go online and try to Google the, the solution as opposed to just, just think about what would you do? And it's becoming very difficult for young adults who are now gonna be future leaders somewhere, which is scary. <laughs> They're not able to have just the basic skills in reading and math. And it's funny you say that because what I'm noticing is a lot of children who don't have their screen in front of them lose their imagination. And imagination is essential during playtime and the socialization aspect. Um, one thing I realized as I was growing up is it helped me, reading helped me with critical thinking. It increased my ability to think around things. Like you said, Googling th information. I use YouTube as a resource more than I use it as mm, something to right. look up, like a fight or, you know how they look up random stuff yeah. like mm. videos and everything else. I would always use it as a resource. What can I do to make pudding? What can I do to find a recipe? I don't think a lot of people think like that. I think they look for instant gratification and whatever their fix is. Mm -hmm. So how can parents use screen time because you know that's a main attraction now as a educational tool what websites are available so um i have genius hour in my school so after i do all the you know scripted stuff that i have to do in the afternoon kids find their passion so a lot of kids believe it or not like to just sit with a clipboard and just doodle so when kids are like well i don't know how to draw batman and i don't know how to do this and i don't have so i found this um through YouTube, where they can pull up, uh, for example, Marvel car car uh, characters, the template to like draw the different characters. And they can draw them, but they take that and they go to the computer and they put them in a digital story on a storyboard. Wow. So it, it gives, it's like an educational kind of tool, but they can't just sit there and draw and look at the computer. They only get four minutes screen time. They're only allowed to sit there and go, okay, okay, this is it, this is it, and they, they sketch. But they can't sit there forever. They have to get up and go to the other section of the room where they're actually plugging in characters and different um, digital boards. What was that called again? Um, YouTube. 
Oh. Can I draw? <laughs> or you can go to tinker.com. Okay. And Tinker is uh, a digital platform where kids can actually make up their own storyboards. Tinker. Tinker. That's cool. That's T- T-Y-N-K-E-R. 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 And it's free. Make your own storyboard for make your, free. Well, it's a lot of things, but make your own storyboard from, you know, coding. Cool. Well, and it teaches children how to code, which is yes. a hard skill. And, and it goes <laughs> from block coding to Python. Wow. That's good. So many languages. And Again, language development, right? right? Yes. Coding is right. just a language that and they, I and, can't speak, And what they do is we have, in September, we have, um, what do you call it, um, a grandparent chat and chew because grandparents days in September and since I just became one. Um, Congratulations. We make, <laughs> we make sure that the grandparents come in and they get to walk around the entire classroom seeing the different stories that the kids have created. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, is is there a correlation between literacy and a child's behavior? I mean, going back to the socio-emotional a little bit, you know, and, and what is that if there's a child with a behavioral issue? And I think you touched on it earlier, but we didn't go in depth. <laughs> there is. Um, there, a few summers ago, and I'll just use the reading program, there was a child that was sitting outside of the classroom. He was really upset. Um, the site director asked if I could come to the site because she was looking to dismiss this child from our program because he wasn't following the behavior, quote unquote, codes that we had. So I came over to sit and talk to the child. So the child's outside and his he's legs across and he's he's angry. Um, so I sat down on the floor with him and, you know, let him just get his anger out because that's a normal emotion. I think sometimes you just have to acknowledge some emotions are just, all emotions are normal. Um, but like, okay, you're angry. What are you? angry about and he said the teacher said you know that I'm, I'm, I'm a struggling reader so that, of course that teacher was not invited back to our program exactly. um, <laughs> so when asked like what do you mean you're a struggling reader and he said you know she keeps trying to make me read the stuff that I don't like and I'm like well what stuff do you like I'm not going to expand on what you don't so what do you like he said well I like cars and dinosaurs but she want to talk about fairy tales. I don't want to read fairy tales. He said, that's all teachers ever want to talk about is fairy tales or girly stuff. Mm. And he was like, every time I go to school, it's all the girly stuff. In the, he said, in the, in the, li- the school library, it's girly stuff. But there's not enough stuff about what I like. Mm. So I said, you tell me all the stuff that you like. So he gave me a list. I said, all right, tomorrow. If you give me to tomorrow, I'm going to go get some books that you like. Um, and I'm going to put you with a different teacher. So the next day I came with the books because it was about promises um, and make sure if you make one that you, you own up to those. And the pre-assessment and the post-assessment were so different. I mean, we, we experienced, we looked to see half the year, grades the full year, but this child went up five levels. Wow. Which tells me I would, I would love to take the credit and say, but there was a relationship thing. Mm-hmm. So this kid already had the skills. So sometimes with literacy, using stories, having available, and it's always important in the beginning of the year or any program to ask a child, what do you like to read? Or what do you like? They need to be reading. What do you like? What are your interests? And then making sure you have those available. Because I'm hesitant about putting reading levels on books because I feel like once a child is labeled, like you are level C, mm-hmm. or depending on which um, 
reading level system they the teacher uses, whether it's Lexile, whether it's FMP, whatever they're using. So the kid sees D. So then the, the instructor kind of gears that kid to that level. Now, I always share a story about my son when he was three. He was into dinosaurs. He can he would be able to tell me about all different types of dinosaur names. I still can't pronounce about dinosaurs in here. I, I think I'm kind of educated. But <laughs> now he couldn't necessarily read at three, but he could tell me all the information. You're talking about text that he would just find and want to read at a fifth grade level. He's three. But if someone would have told him, no, you're three years old, you right. can't read that. Well, what that would do to his development. So oftentimes you'll find out even when I was in the classroom, some of my challenge, most challenge, my sunshines, I like to call them. Sunshine kids, you know, when they weren't there, like, oh, sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> but my sunshines, those children, when they had access to things that they liked, even for the five, ten minutes, that would keep them feeling good about themselves because even if they couldn't necessarily read the words, they could tell me using the pictures what was going on. Mm-hmm. And that was even more important because sometimes the words don't make sense with the story. <laughs> you know, sometimes you read books like that doesn't make sense with the story. What was the mm-hmm. author thinking? But I had my own story in my mind, so it would keep them calm. It would, and providing a comfortable atmosphere for the student to be able to have the chance. And not, as you guys said earlier, don't make it a punishment. Mm-mm. Exactly. Never. You know, don't make it a punishment. What I'm hearing out of what you're saying is children have different learning styles. Understanding mm-hmm. their different learning style is essential to helping improve their literacy and building their comprehension. Yes. So. With that being said, let's talk about the learning styles. Um, do Are you guys familiar with the different learning styles? Mm-hmm. Just so parents can be. <laughs> <laughs> I want the parents to be aware because I think we need to talk about this more mm-hmm. and helping the parents understand that my child doesn't learn by just reading a book. My child mm-hmm. learns by such and such. Or, such and such. or my child that, has that a... blank book for visualization. Exactly. Um. <laughs> I would say the first thing is understanding that a child can have multiple learning styles. Yes. So it's not just pigeonholed to one learning style. One may be more dominant than the other, but most, most, most humans have multiple learning styles. Um, Going back to what I said about the classroom and the teacher, please make sure the teacher is aware um, about your child's learning style. And even if you're not aware about what your child's learning styles are, make sure that teacher finds out what your child's learning styles are and make sure that teacher is adapting their curriculum and their lessons to that child's oh we do that with my kids learning style (laughs) so they need to be aware is this child an interpersonal learner intrapersonal learner is this child a naturalistic learner is this child a child that maybe hey when i read i want to read laying down so maybe Mm -hmm. you need to have a kid bring a blanket in what's the harm of a kid laying down if that's what they're comfortable I was a lay downer. Still am. (laughs) You know, the kid wants to sit on the desk. If it's not harming anyone and the kid feels that way or under the desk, you know, being able to make it comfortable um, and make it that it's relaxing. There's so many different things. And well, going back to online and the resources, there are millions of resources out there that can support the different types of learning styles. So utilize that. And as a parent, once you understand what your child, you can even take assessments, online assessments about your child to figure out what your child's best learning style is, take that to the classroom. Make sure the teacher is adapting to that. Because if your child is 
one that is a little shy and doesn't want to speak out and the, the teacher just marking based on them sharing out there's other ways you don't have to stand in front of a classroom right. to share out what you learned i mean even now going back to a little bit to the screen time but their teachers are creating blogs maybe your the child can write an email to the teacher about what they're feeling or maybe in a group setting then you pick a leader and your leader is a kid that does have those interpersonal skills that can share out for the group so that your child did contribute to this group discussion um using different manipulatives you know put a sign you know the yes no or maybe they're writing on a whiteboard their answer so they're not necessarily have to speak and say that adapt to that don't force a child to have to feel like i have to go to acting school or take acting lessons just so i can learn how to speak some instances maybe as an adult if you realize that's what you want to do that's fine but as a child i don't want to speak that's okay but there's other ways you can speak without using your voice. We use emojis. Emojis, that's hot. We use emojis because <laughs> I have some kids that can't talk. Nonverbal. They're nonverbal. Yeah. So you know, I need to. How are you feeling? They check in with emojis. Wow. It sounds like relationships are. Mm-hmm. I mean, the building block to. Exactly. I mean everything, but mm-hmm. you know, including literacy, cognitive development, critical mm-hmm. thinking abilities. I wanted to ask you something else because one thing I observed dealing with children who have delays in reading or dealing with uh, comprehension, reading comprehension, uh, parents get extremely frustrated and the frustration goes from yelling at the child, forcing the child to sit there and read and cursing at the child and, oh, you're going to get a spanking, different uh, consequences for the child. What do you think that does to a child? As it, min- it minimizes a child's ability and it makes them afraid. Yes. So how would that impact their reading ability or literacy? Well, so if I may. So in the trauma-informed lessons that I've been taking, mm-hmm. we learn that there are multiple different brain states that you have. And, you know, it's important when you're working with kids to regulate, relate, and reason in that order to bring them to higher brain states. You can be calm. You can be... You know, mm-hmm. a little bit like the right zone isn't necessarily calm, right? You, if, right. if you right. if you're lifting weights mm-hmm. and you don't do anything that hurts, you're not going to build muscle. So it's similar. You want to have a little bit of discomfort, but not too much discomfort. If if you're in that perfect engage zone, that's maximizing your potential IQ. But there's a difference between IQ and functional IQ, which is the IQ that somebody has in a specific moment. So if you if you make a child fearful and they go into those deeper, more reptilian parts of their brain, their, their functional IQ can drop up to 50 points. So you're taking a kid who may be reading at, I have no idea about grade level, so I'm mm-hmm. just making mm-hmm. stuff up. But they may be able to read at a fourth grade level, but then when they're threatened with spankings, they regress right. back to first right. grade kindergarten level right. in that moment. It doesn't mean that they've completely forgotten how mm-hmm. to read, but in that moment there are there's greater adversity that they are trying to deal with than learning how to read, which given how the parent is dealing with it, they probably don't like it that much to begin with. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that you're supporting the child, not making it a punishment, but making it something fun, engaging, Mm -hmm. letting them know about the process and how it's going to help them grow into a strong, mature adult down the road. And the importance of all of that, again, you can only do that through a healthy and healing relationship. And then the other thing is sometimes when kids come in in the morning, like we have universal feedings, feedings, so our kids can eat breakfast for free and lunch for free. So in the classroom, they're coming in, you're saying hi, good morning, they're checking in, and 
some kids, as you say, are not woke. And I do Tai Chi with my kids. So that's my mindfulness with them. We have five minutes in the morning. Some kids past that point, you know, they look at you like, okay, well, you have this, this, and this for me to do. I actually don't want to do that right now. So my whole thing is I give them a range of time that they need to complete it. I said, well, okay. Well, I'm going to go over here with the Gotti Reading Group. If you want to come over here with us, fine. You know, we're reading about, you know, spacemen and blah, blah, blah. You can join us in this group. And, you know, you just give me a time when you think you might complete this. And I said, well, I can get it done by 11. I said, great. That's right after science. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I just leave it alone. I don't try to, like, force it down their throat. Just as long as the assignment gets done within that, that time frame, it's good. Some kids need that. I was one of those kids, by the way. <laughs> I said, the teacher would tell the whole class, oh, I need you to have this done by 930. I was like, Phew. okay, well, it's not going to get done. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing I would say, make the why realistic. Not because, don't, not because I said so. What's the why? Why does this child need to do this? Why would you want this child to do this? As you, know, you were saying, mm-hmm. like, you know, but something in the now. So that way you'll right, be short able, term as well. right? So mm-hmm. you'll be able. Maybe you find that that kid really likes math. Well, so you'll be able to answer your math problems, you know. Because really, exactly. when you think about math, you're using comprehension skills, especially when word problems. Here's a story. The man went to the store. He bought five, like so. You're and you're able to understand that. Just that's just the why. We're just trying to figure out why or how many apples and oranges the man bought. That's why we're trying to read. We're trying to read this story to figure out what happened when Little Red Riding Hood gets to her grandma. You know, give them the why. Give them just it's just as simple as the why. Mm-hmm. We're trying. We're going to read this because we're going to make a cake. So I need for you to help me understand what ingredients we need. The reading doesn't have to be a storybook. It can be we're going to make something together. So I need you to help me get the ingredients. So we're going to we're going to bake this cake. Or the why is well, you're trying to get to the next level in Fortnite. So maybe you need to read the the game manual or, or look up the manual to figure out what's the next step. Or the why is you know what? There's a big debate in Uno now about Staxies. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I love yeah. Staxies. Oh, man. <laughs> that is, I got in so much trouble for some Staxies. I'm the champ. That was a mistake. Right. Always so, check. You know, so now we need to start looking up the rules. <laughs> you know, so you can make sure we're playing it right. Staxies are still in. But, you know, exactly. you still make, so make the why realistic. This is why. Not because, and, and if, if, as a parent, as a family member, if you're getting frustrated, then you go to timeout. Don't put them in timeout. Mm. You just, you know, I'm going to go in timeout. <laughs> you go put yourself in timeout and you calm down. Because now they're more upset that you're upset as opposed to what mm. the real deal is. If it's if reading every night feels like punishment for your child, talk to the teacher. You know, maybe instead of reading, maybe the kid can draw a picture about what they learned today. Or maybe they're giving some things about what stood out for them today in class because they're still using the same skills because the whole point of why we're asking you to read for 20 minutes every night is to utilize those skills or maybe hey let's go to the tv guide let's determine what we're going to watch tonight as a family so you know they give you the synopsis so what do you think is going to happen have them read that and tell them why do you think we should watch this show as opposed to that show i never ever thought about that jenny <laughs> Honestly, when you watch TV with children, having them read that can build their literacy. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then with the ingredients, if you read the word tomato and then touch a tomato, there's probably no better way to put that visual into exactly. the child's head. Right. It's visual, it's tangible. Um, the one thing that I would like to note is that Peggy has given the most thumbs up I've seen all summer. And you're not the only. <laughs> Peggy and this thumbs she, up every she's time. She's been giving the thumbs up. All, 
So you're not the only good teacher that I know who gives an outrageous number of thumbs up. Uh, quick shout out to Sarah Staldenmeyer, who was my co-fellow for 12 plus at Hill Friedman, because um, she did the same. What is the importance of a positive reinforcement, whether it's for us speaking here or for a child in an educational setting? or It should be instantaneously. And it should be just got another thumbs up. <laughs> yes, Megan, just, Megan. just to note, it should be purposeful, yes, and meaningful, and um, intentional. Yeah. And, and intentional. Mm-hmm. You know, even you say, "Oh, good, good job for what?" You know, be specific yep. about it. You know, not just "good job, good job for what?" What were you doing? That was a good job. You know, I'm glad that you were able to read the next four pages on your own. You know, or whatever it is, but making it not just positive because sometimes it gets okay. You're always going to tell me I'm doing a good job, but why? You know. Um, and having those cheers and different things and mm-hmm. showing that this is really, you know, sometimes not giving them a reward such as a sticker or whatever. Right. It's not meaningful, but when they know that it's from heart and make it real, it, it's from the heart and they know when it's like, wow, you genuinely were happy for me for doing this. I'm going to do it again because I want to see you smiling. Like, or I want to get your thumbs up because I know that's rare because you usually just, you know, not <laughs> saying, <laughs> but to know that, wow, like, um, even just hearing about the program in North Flight and hearing how the executive director was like really happy, you know, with the program, that made me feel good. Yeah. You know, Irene was thrilled. <laughs> Still is. You know, that was like a positive reinforcement. Like, because that day that I heard that was like a not a really good day for the program. I was hearing other stuff and it's like, oh, so we are doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> so even as adults, we like to hear that positive, just instantaneous, making it purposeful. And making it, you know, real. Yeah, I think that's essential to keeping it real with the kids, mm-hmm. like giving them positive reinforcements right. and making sure that they mm-hmm. know that what they're doing is beneficial mm-hmm. in such and such ways. Uh, let me ask you something, though. There goes that thought. Uh, look at his <laughs> smile. <laughs> so, let me ask you if the child's frustrated, would you recommend a break? And if you recommend breaks, for how long? It depends on what the frustration level right. is. Right. If you know that it's too much, then just stop. Because you don't want them to feel, no one wants to feel like a failure. And no one wants to be frustrated. So maybe come back to it. You know, having that relationship again will have you know the child. So I come back in 10 minutes. So I say, you know what, let's have a snack. Or let's have a dance break. Or let's do something like to kind of break that and then come back mm-hmm. to it. You know, just learning how you get into your calm state. You know, mm-hmm. um, go check yourself out. Maybe you need to go to timeout first and then come back and then have a conversation. Ask them, why are you so, what's, what's frustrating you? What mm-hmm. can I do to relieve that frustration? To go back to the three R's that I was talking about where you mm-hmm. want to regulate, relate, and reason. I mean, in talking about the relationships, that mm-hmm. gets to, for some kids, you may be able to go through those steps and get them from a frustrated state to a non-frustrated state in the course of like a minute. For other kids, it might take an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you don't know what's going on behind the right. scenes that right. is driving poor performance mm-hmm. that day. Mm-hmm. And again, if a kid's frustrated, they're not going to be able to read at the right Right. level which is only going to further perpetuate their frustration but see i had some mindfulness experts in my room remember my kids are they've been together since kindergarten so in a k to five setting i rely on you know someone that i know that can basically sit with the child and just say hey what's up what's Mm -hmm. going on and sometimes they may not have to say anything they just sit there 
And so everything goes on. And I, and I would tell the child when I pull them over, if he comes back in five, fine. If he comes back in 10, no problem. I said, but after 10, I need you to come back. And I need that child to be accountable for what's going on. So if he needs to sit, he can sit on the side. And I always have spaces around the perimeter of my classroom because some kids, they just need that space. They really do. And my, my fifth graders were big. <laughs> Some were taller than me. So they just need that space sometimes. And then, you know, it might not have been anything that possibly happened in classroom. A lot of times if they're coming from a special ed class or a speech class or something, maybe someone intercepted them coming upstairs, it could have been a problem. So, you know, you give them a chance to kind of work it out and then you can talk to them. I'm glad you mentioned the time. Even at home with my children, I set a timer when they're in their frustration zone um, and set the timer. And when the timer goes off, are you ready yet? You know, even they just not know. Okay, I'll set it again. You know, when you're ready, when you're comfortable, um, you know, or just give me a note, send something to say that whatever, even if it's just one word mm -hmm. that's just frustrating me right now and creating that safe space. Um, even in, when I was a classroom teacher, I even allowed, sometimes just getting in, I had fifth and sixth grade and seventh and eighth graders using profanity. You know, in that safe zone, they were able to say whatever they wanted to say. It wasn't It wasn't like, oh, let me go write you up because you curse. Right. That wasn't what, who cares? We all curse. Well, maybe not all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I curse. The four of us. We all admit it. <laughs> but the important part for me was getting it out. Letting it loose. Let let me understand how I how I can help you. If I can help you or get some other help for you, what can I do to bring your frustration level down and make you feel more comfortable? And it sometimes it's not that day. But the important thing was when that child returned, you don't bring it up. It's a new day. Right. Hmm. It's a new day. Um, and sometimes you just have to rewire, rethink, replan what you were doing with that child to try to do something different. Because it often goes back to what's the objective? What's the real, is the objective to read the book? Is the objective to talk about characters? The objective, you know, to be able to match this to this. What is the objective? Right. You know, so, okay, so what are other ways I can do this? Maybe I need to bring out a game because I can still accomplish that with mm -hmm. a game. You know, maybe we can draw or do a storyboard. Maybe we can act it out. Maybe we can just go crazy. You know, like, you know, like Go Noodle. Go Noodle. I love Go Noodle. <laughs> Have you heard of Go Noodle? No. <laughs> I'm like, Go Noodle? What so is Go, go noodle? noodle? So Go Noodle is a way that even like for a break moments, and you can even use that at North Light, but it's, it is an online thing and it's free and you can sign up for it. But it's like different brain break moments or different things that kids can do and act crazy and dance. And but it's just sometimes you just need to, this is my show my age, when you just say, stop, hammer time. You know, like, you just have to, like, da, 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 can't touch this. You know, like, so then you have to come back. Like, we just have to stop and just mm -hmm. have that moment where we can just, like, okay, that was crazy. You know, and then now, now we broke that whole tension because sometimes the situation is so tense that they don't even realize it's tense. They need, they need it to break because we can't say, hey, hey, son, hey, daughter, or, hey, kid, let's go to happy hour and talk about this. Right. <laughs> Better not bring your kid to happy hour. <laughs> you just don't drink. <laughs> Mommy needs to drink. <laughs> <laughs> you get apple juice. <laughs> you get the chaser, mom. <laughs> but you know, but having that moment where you just, you know, sometimes you just need to just stop and just yes. make it funny, or just find a, a bright spot. Let's focus on that, and then come back because now it is that calmer space, and now we can sit and have a conversation. And it's, the kids still may say, "I'm not going to read," and that's fine. 
but let's do something other thing mm-hmm. because if it's about comprehension if it's about reading something all right well you know what i want to make spaghetti tonight so you can tell me because i'm going to grab so can you just start telling me what i need what i'm hearing out of that because one thing that i know is important is building a child's um regulatory development mm-hmm. and when you do that what you're doing is building the child's regulatory development helping them assess that i'm upset right now i need a break let me calm down and this is how i calm down mm-hmm. and i think that's essential with parenting and dealing with anything not just academics but right any type of aspect of life understanding that you're frustrated right now i need a break let me take a minute of me time and go back at whatever project i'm tackling right Mm -hmm. i think that's awesome but i wanted to also acknowledge something that i use for children who uh are in an upset moment during a break peggy you probably see me do this a lot with the kids i will use the calm app (laughs) c-a-l-m you have it as well I love that app. The breathing exercises are amazing. The one thing I love about the breathing exercises is it gives you a duration of how long the child is upset. Right. And that way you can monitor the progress of the child over time. All right, the child was upset for 15 minutes. This is time that he might need next time. Let's right, try to right, decrease right. it the next time and do five, 10 minutes, five minutes, keep going down and down. So that way the child has more resiliency and able is able to bounce back and go into the activity faster and quicker and it's just developing that regulatory development mm-hmm. over time that's i'm glad you mentioned the calm app but that's also something i recommend to families because with that screen time the kids don't know how to calm down yes. so you're still kind of giving them an app but now like as before we go to bed now we have this calm app so we're learning just to take it down because they go right from some the kids are falling asleep mm-hmm. to the screen so they their brain is still on that and they haven't shut their brain off so a lot of them, even with literacy and other academic focus, the kids can't focus because their brain has never shut down from right. the previous weeks, right. days, hours before. So just having the calm or doing yes. those exercises just before it, you go to sleep de-stresses you. Mm-hmm. Because I realized that for me, it was like all these tabs kept staying open, so I would eventually go to sleep, but I would wake up and these tabs are still open. And just like a computer, you have too many tabs open, you crash, and you can't remember right. anything. Right. I mean, my three-year-old, well, four-year-old now, was, was like, Mommy, you just don't remember what I just said. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing with the, your activity, um, when the child comes back in the room, um, I always have try to have somebody assigned to that child to like within two minutes, give them the gist of what we're doing. Yes. Show them what page, all that kind of stuff. Because if not, when the child comes back in the room, the whole class's focus is on that kid walking back in the room. And then this way, the other child can come over and say, hey, you know what? Why don't you come over here, take out your math book, let me show you what we're doing. And then that kind of decreases the focus on that child. Yeah, I think that's a great tip to use as well. So you mentioned screen time and sleep. Sleep hygiene is my thing. And parents... <laughs> You need to know about sleep hygiene. (laughs) Sleep hygiene and screen time don't go hand in hand. Mm -mm. You need to make sure that child has at least two hours apart from that screen before they go to sleep because they need to unwind. Their minds need to unwind. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about how sleep impacts academics. Uh, How does sleep affect a child's ability to comprehend, read, do math? If a child's not getting enough sleep, they come to class after they eat breakfast and they're like... (laughs) like that or if a child is supposed to have medication and they get medicated maybe an hour two hours before they come to school they do the same thing 
So there's a negative impact on a child not getting enough sleep. And for my kids, uh, the pediatrician said they have to have over seven hours of sleep. And half of my kids were not getting seven hours of sleep because they had their devices in their room. Exactly. Now, how old are you? You're fifth grade, correct? Right. So my kids are 11 to like 12 and a half. 11 to 12 and a half. Now, because, what if- because I have kids who have IEPs, so they're a li- some are a little bit older. Now, what about the children who are younger? How much sleep would you recommend for them? Probably more than seven. Yeah. At definitely. least eight. They recommend at least um, nine to ten hours. Mm-hmm. Nine to ten hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that as parents we practice that because working in the school setting, you notice those, ch- especially children with medication, once they start going to sleep, there's really it's really hard for teachers to get them up and actually have them participate in the activity. And right. a lot of these children are extremely smart. They know yes. how to do the work. Yes. They just aren't doing the work because they're asleep most of the time, out of their control because of the medication. And so, or just not getting enough adequate enough sleep. Right. There was something I was reading, something that I thought, this is interesting. And the person was saying, for their child, you know, you, you come home, you have dinner, you have dessert. Mm-hmm. And she was saying, I give my child a dessert first. Because that's all the sugar, you know, and let them just unwind and they get the dessert. And then we have dinner because that's more your nutrients. So you're not, it's not as heavy. It's not that sugar. They're wiry to start bringing them down. And I was like, yes, somebody who agrees with me, eat your dessert first. (laughs) Sorry. But now, now, like, you know, it does make sense. You know, you're giving them, you know, after you have dinner and now you have your ice cream or now you have your cake or, Mm -hmm. or whatever the treat is, but it's more of a sugary option. So now my brain is now can't function to tell me to go to sleep mm-hmm. because my brain is saying stay up because I'm wired as opposed to maybe giving that sugary snack when they get home or mm-hmm. the, the dessert first and then have their meal and then let's take it down um, and let their brain rest mm-hmm. once you get to school age now I'm not a homework queen uh, so <laughs> Neither am I. I'm a project based yes I'm not really a homework <laughs> fan um, and I think homework should be nothing more than a quick few questions if you're going to give homework about what they did for the day um and that could be more so a conversation mm-hmm. but if your child is not getting enough sleep and becoming frustrated tell the teacher they can call me mm-hmm. <laughs> i'll be your uh, excuse no but they need to lay down mm-hmm. they should not be up completing homework assignment homework that's not their job they should not be doing three four two hours three hours four hours Preach. of homework mm-hmm. they should not be doing that that's right, a teacher's right. job if it wasn't right. learned during the day then take it back, pack it up, put it in a book bag. The teacher needs to reteach it. That is not a parent's job to have kids doing homework two and three, four hours. That does mm-hmm. not make your kids oh, no. smarter because you're taking away that sleep time. Right. You're taking away that let me calm down and close some tab time because now, one, I'm fearing being punished maybe by my parents, definitely by my teacher. Um, and that's why I said keep checking in with your school. Keep checking in with the teachers child should not be on punishment or recess taking or this because they did not do their homework Mm -hmm. and I think another I think another thing um, I realized this in the last five years I had a lot of children who were they were in a family but the dad say was in New York with his wife so the child had like a stepmom and a dad but then mom was here in Philly with uh, stepdad so the child on the weekends, were, she was traveling back and forth to Brooklyn. And the dad in Brooklyn was like, she's, she's knocked out. She can't. I said, okay, all right, this is what we'll do. I said, her assignment's due Tuesday. I said, we'll extend it. And she'll do half of it in the class. 
please drive carefully on 95 and don't worry about this right now. Right. You know, like, you know, and I had six families like that. You know, I had a military family and dad was going back and forth to Delaware. And then I had, so we need to, teachers, we need to be aware of what's going on with kids because not everybody has mom and dad and everybody's home in Philly. You got kids that have family members all over the place. So the homework thing we had Monday through Thursday, one day a week, the kids could earn a homework pass, but they had to do certain things. Like they had to do, you know, we had to do guesses with fractions or something. And then in class dojo, I was like, homework pass, no homework tonight, no reading, no this, no that. And so basically they only had homework three days a week, but they had projects. My kids had projects. I don't do that worksheet thing. That, that gets on my nerves. So I don't do that. <laughs> I agree with you because one thing I noticed is dealing with just my nephews, mm-hmm. they they go to a Christian school. Okay. They Well, a Catholic school, mm-hmm. and they receive a lot of homework. And then dealing with the children from Cookwitzahicken mm-hmm. or uh, Shawmont or Dobson, mm-hmm. they receive a lot of homework. And the parents are overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed doing the homework with them. The child is overwhelmed. It's extremely frustrating for mm-hmm. everybody involved. Mm-hmm. And I never understood why they send so much homework home with the child when they're learning it in school. Right. It doesn't make sense to me. Right. I talk about my homework policy with my parents. I I don't do everyday homework, and I just do. I like projects. (laughs) I I like projects, but what I also do is I do a a survey with my parents. I want to know who the cheerleaders are. How many days a week do they have to go to practice? Who are the football players? Who are the soccer players? Who are the lacrosse players? Tell me what your child's schedule is, and we can work this out. Right. I can give the child a project on blah, blah, blah. It's not due to the end of the work, end of the month. I do every, we do everything else in school. Like, exactly. I don't understand the everyday four, five, six. I, I, I don't understand that. I don't. Getting back to, uh, I don't even. I'm, I've lost track. Of oh, time, sorry. So it might have been an hour ago. <laughs> oh no, you're totally good. Still got forty minutes left in the Woo. studio, so this can go on as long <laughs> as forty minutes at least. Um, but. We were talking earlier about smart boards and how that's impacted new teachers. I think that there, from my year working in an inner city school, and it's not just in the inner city, Mm -hmm. but it was striking to observe teachers who didn't teach. They read off a board. When you read a PowerPoint, kids aren't learning. So they, I mean, literally you rely on the homework. You're relying on the child to figure it out for themselves because if you're reading off a board, again, in terms of parallel processing, if you're just reading off a board, kid's not going to engage with that. Or at least it would be hard to assume that every kid in that room is going to engage. You know, if we had more teachers that were active, led from behind, let the children explore the material, I think that we would see a huge improvement in right. not only comprehension, but then you wouldn't need to give all this homework. Right. And then kids would get to be kids, and they would get to run around, and we would see the benefits of all that. It would be yeah, so but... knocked. I just got a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> hands are up. I love it. But, you know, they would get to run around. It would. The one thing that exercise always did for me is it knocked me out. Yes. You know, if I worked out hard, I was tired at the end of the day, and after a long day, even now at work, you know, the first thing I do generally is work out. The last thing I'll do, I try to do is work out. Mm-hmm depends on the energy levels and you just work in between then eight hours of sleep is like not even enough because your body just needs the sleep and being able to give kids that outlet Mm -hmm. as well homework i think just takes all that up yeah i agree 
I'm an advocate of no homework. Um, I'm going to join that movement. <laughs> <laughs> because one... I don't mind the projects. But I think the, the project base, especially the collaboration... Well, the, pro- the project, I didn't mean to get in your way, sorry. But the project base, a lot of times, um, we do a lot of cultural history stuff in my classroom. Um, with the Grandparents' Day, uh, I want to know who you are. I mean, you know, like in the Black Panthers, show them who you are. I want to know my kids. Like, I want to know that your great-grandmother came from Mexico, and she owns a store in South Philly. I, I want to know this stuff. So, um, and then I align it with what we're supposed to be teaching for history in fifth grade, which is United States history. So, I'm big for projects. So, Jenniki, yes. Jenniki, you were going to say? Oh, even in the classroom, there's so many different dynamics. One, the American school system is still built on what it started 300 years ago. The same, <laughs> seriously, it's the same premise. Kids go to school from 8 to 3. Our society does not support that. Um, you have parents, you know, who work all different types right. of positions, right. but who are not home at 5, 6 o'clock, sometimes 7 o'clock. Some parents will not come home until 11 o'clock at night. Right. Right. So, realistically, do you want the kid to stay up or the parent to come in and look at homework and do that? And really, what is homework? You know, now there's something that you're working on and you want the kids to kind of review it or get their experience about or start, you know, previewing something you're getting ready to teach. Okay, that's fine. But to give them all of this work, school is their job. When they come home, when they leave school, they're, they're, their job is finished for the day. So now it's time to relax. You know, I even when I coach teachers, so you bring this teacher bag home every day. What do you do with it? They're like most of the time I don't leave out my car. Exactly. So you're carrying this go to happy hour. Stop. Like don't yes. you know, like because really, when do you get a chance to rejuvenate? When do you get a chance? Because now you're gonna stand in front of all these students and now you're giving all this homework because you didn't get a chance to teach it. Because you're tired, they're tired and frustrated. So let's eliminate some of these barriers. When you leave out of your job at three thirty, four o'clock, your job is done. Go home to your family, go home to your loved ones, go home to yourself. Have the students do the same thing. Let them now they're in soccer. If they're taking, you know, other classes based on their culture, let them do that. Let them have family time. That's what's important. That's what's going to build their inferences up because now they have something to to now contribute based on, oh, okay, because when I did X, Y, and Z, if you're given homework, everybody's frustrated. Nobody wants to talk. Everybody's upset. You know, then they come back to school and it's not totally finished away or they're so frustrated they forgot their homework and so now it's the punishment. It's just a continuous cycle yeah. of it doesn't support literacy. It doesn't mm-hmm. support development. It doesn't support anything. It's just papers, books that are just being utilized for no reason. I think we need to make that like kind of a movement. Let's go. I, I really, really do just because <laughs> I can see the benefits building relationships at right. home having the child have more time for them to be a child Mm -hmm. they can spend more time reading or doing whatever they want to do during that time building their imagination uh socialization children don't have enough time for socialization increasing the amount of sleep screen time Mm -hmm. exactly so they're home on that screen time um they're home doing that so but you know some of that is because they're doing their homework Agreed. Right. right You know, they're online and trying to figure out because they're on some type of document or something that they have to submit, you know, to be ready for tomorrow. You know, and I knew teachers that were using Class Dojo, which was great. And they, and they would say, oh, no, I'm just posting the question and I want kids. But now you're encouraging them to be back on the screen. Yeah. So now they want to make sure they get that in. And then it's like, no, let's go outside. And I get in some areas and some neighborhoods, and I'm speaking about Philadelphia, mm-hmm. it's not safe. So children yeah. can't go outside. Or even to the library. Mm-hmm. 
but they're but giving them homework or having them that then maybe choose a book of the week for the, for the family and that's an activity we're going to act out maybe we're going to rewrite this book and change the characters and make it the characters that are in our house or maybe in our family or rewrite the ending maybe little red riding hood didn't go through the forest she went through the alley or she went on the subway to grandma's house you know like make it relevant and change it and rewrite it and you know i wish more educators would support that and maybe the kid can bring that to school because that's what i worked on this week with my family yes you know and that so whether or not the child is a reader is able to read all children can read it's about the level let me let me just say that all children can read it's about the level which they acquire and the time that they acquire mm-hmm. their reading skills so they bring that that should be something you know acceptable to say okay this and monitoring their learning because then they can share that because they created that I agree so once let me think of a great way to segue <laughs> into this question just ask it yeah just ask just it ask the yeah, just ask that it. was that the was the segue, segue. <laughs> exactly <laughs> That's the Sag mentality we think alike sometimes. There you go. We are both Sagittarius. Yes. <laughs> Bernetta reminds us all the time. Fire signs, amazing. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But a good thing as well. We're really loyal and compassionate and oh, yeah. passionate. Bunch of but, puppies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to this question, you guys. Let's get to Just this ask question. the question. You're the one that distracted us from it in the right. first place. All right. So, the ability to read out loud impacts the child's uh, esteem. How does the ability to read out loud impact the ch- child's self-esteem in what ways? One, the child has to want to read aloud. Mm. You know, you forcing a child to read aloud, it goes back to what you said about that trauma. You know, that kid could be on a fourth or fifth grade level, but once you put them in that atmosphere, but now they're stuttering or they can't, or they don't, they don't even know what they're reading, they're shy, it's not the same way. Um, so, one is to make sure that they want to do it. Yes. You know, and is it, are we reading aloud to a partner? Are we reading aloud in front of the class? Even sometimes to a partner, I'm scared. I don't want, I'm feeling like she's going to judge me, you know, because now that's become a big thing, you know, and the socialization is kids feeling judged, you know, or someone's going to talk about them. Um, so make sure that it's comfortable in a comfortable setting and that, as Peggy said earlier, but you're providing different mediums for the child to be able to express herself and share something. So reading aloud is great, but what's more important is having the child hear it being read aloud. So the adult reading it aloud. We do, um, so this year I had a selective mute. Um, Very smart, she spoke when she wanted to speak. So I designed the class to have uh, the kids practice tableaus, which is kind of like taking a scene or event in the book and acting it out. They had to like design it first on paper, you know, see who the characters were and all that kind of stuff. And so one kid was like, I don't know why you're asking her. She's not going to talk. I said, but she's in the group. So let's see what she does. So we have five different groups. Her group came out and there was a narrator. And that part of the scene, basically you had to freeze. You couldn't move. And the kids had to figure out who the characters were. She was the narrator, narrated the entire thing. Didn't miss a word. She was like on a seventh grade reading level. So my thing is, if I had listened to her peers and kind of like ignored her, she would not have had that experience and opportunity. Like you kind of have to know your kids. I mean, this is maybe November. And she had spoken to me maybe about six times, never spoke to any of the specialist teachers. 
but you have to know your kids. There, you want to talk? Well, one thing I was going to acknowledge is that you also empowered her in that moment, which probably made her feel more comfortable to want to speak around you. And I think that's important as well, empowering a child, especially when you know they have selective mutism that is very beneficial. Yeah, there was an article that that reminded me of, which I might have brought up in a previous podcast, but it's called The Least Dangerous Assumption by Cheryl Jorgensen, which I read in my master's program, and it talks about how if you assume that a child can only do math up to this level, and you never challenge them above that level because of the assumptions that you bring to the table, that child will not learn math at that, like at a greater level. That girl probably learned something about herself that day. And got accepted to a fantastic middle magnet school. And without that opportunity, who right. knows what would have happened, right. right? Providing those opportunities to empower children, right. to learn and grow into their mm-hmm. fullest selves. Well, that's definitely what the Reach to Succeed program does. That's why that's I a way to draw so back to that. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I love it so much. Yeah. I'll throw a bone to Northlight as well <laughs> yeah. while we're going. The mission is to empower individuals of all exactly. ages and abilities exactly. in our communities to reach their full potential as productive and responsible citizens. That's a great I write that in say. enough grants. I was wondering when I was actually going to memorize it. Yes. Have Excellent. There you go. Did you get your thumbs up? Yeah. Um, do you happen to know any statistics about literacy rates through children across the country or in Philadelphia? Or... So for why we target um, initially Read to Succeed, pro- well, initially Read to Succeed program when it was um, developed seven years ago, it went up to grade fifth. Um, but looking at statistics, when you realize that 70% of children were reading below grade level, we, we took off fourth and fifth grade, which unfortunately a lot of families are upset about that. They should be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because we wanted to target that age group. So before they walk into third grade, to give them as much support mm-hmm. as they needed. So they won't be that statistic. They'll be part of the proficient statistic and decreasing the number of the students who are not proficient in reading. So you have about 70% of the children who um, who aren't reading, who aren't able to read. And that's astonishing. Wow. Um, um, e- writing is also been linked with reading ELA, they put it as ELA, but we have adults who can't write. But <laughs> right, right, right. No, uh, that's a fact. And, we, and the reason why, because writing was used as a punishment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I don't want to say they can't write. It's a, it's a deterrent because it was used as a punishment. Right. Um, a few, like 10 minutes ago, you did say that everybody can read. It's just a function right, of what right, level. So right, I'll just right. call that back. It's a function. Just like, to clarify. I remember going, I was in Catholic school, and you know, you had to write, you got in punishment, I will not, whatever. I used to sell those. Because I was at, at home writing. You were a hustler. You could have made some serious money. I did. Right. <laughs> you made some really good snack money. You know, so when it came, it was like, here you go. <laughs> but... So, but it was associated with punishment, you know, mm. so, and with um, the map, the map, depending on the area of the country, which I find really interesting about math levels. So where they're more focused on math versus not, and what are they looking at? And because of math, there's many different programs that are utilized um, that don't necessarily teach math, have more of a thinking approach. Right. Um, we're now kind of phasing out the everyday math. Everyday math was one program that was very popular with the mindset that kids were going to build on these skills, but they never got the foundational skills. 
So now they're going back to looking at foundational math skills. Mm -hmm. So math is actually growing. Um, the kids are becoming more proficient in math right now than they are in reading. So that's why last year we implemented Let's Read Math into the Read to Succeed program because we now want to show that correlation that when you're doing math, you're reading and vice versa, that mm -hmm. the skills, it's not reading, is not opening a book. Mm -hmm. Reading is about the skills. Right. One thing I noticed is when I was in school, the math teacher, I used to always ask, what is the benefit of this? Like, what am I going to get out of math? How much of this math am I going to use? Especially algebra. Yeah, <laughs> but then you start working and you start mm -hmm. living life and you yes. realize I'm doing it every single right. day. Right. And that's what one of my teachers, Mr. Boyle, used to always tell me. He's like, John, you're going to use this every single day and not even realize it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're going to use measurements, do geometry. Mm -hmm. You'll never even realize that right. you're doing it, but right. you're doing it every single right. day. But and going back to what Jenny Key was saying about uh, writing, writing does seem to be like a punishment kind of thing. Um, yeah. In my class, I well, I have kids that can't write. I do a lot of underwriting, meaning that when they write, a lot, well, a lot, about five of them this year were dysgraphic, yes. meaning that they thought they were writing something great. I couldn't understand a word they said. So basically, I just sat next to them, and I said, can you read this to me? So as they're reading, I'm writing the words. I'm actually writing the words out. And I got to the point where I had one student who couldn't write anything, but by January, he was able to write two sentences. Wow. In February, he wrote a paragraph. And his mom texted me and said, wait till you see his story. He came in sometime in March with an entire story, full page, in his own handwriting. So he just needed that extra practice and that extra, you know, little teeny tiny push to get to a certain level. I mean, he was at the level his peers were at. And he had an IEP and writing was in his IEP. So that's what I, I did with him. Yeah. That's awesome. And it wasn't a shove. It was a little push it was a in the right direction, a right, love tap. Right, 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 right. Just, just to like, guide him on course. <laughs> but he was also trying to please a girl in the classroom that he liked, so hey, it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> whatever works. Right? Sometimes. The other thing is, too, um, my kids, they did what was called quick writes. So speaking of the interactive smart board, they would have Im an image up on the board, and they had to write about the image. They had to tell a story. Now they said, well, what are we supposed to do? Is it supposed to be one sentence, two sentences? I said, tell the story. Mm -hmm. Tell me a story. So then during the course of the week, I said, does anybody want to take one of their quick write pieces and make it a full essay? So by the time PSSA came, came around, when they had to write essays, they were not, Yeah. they were already doing it. So that's another thing that you could do for writing as well. Parents could do the same thing. You just type in quick write images. And like a slew of images will come up. That's cool. That is cool. I, I I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you. I keep saying this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, my mind is late in the day. My mind goes to slush. Peggy, you know what time I get up. Me I and know. You check. So, I know. <laughs> so what are the long-term effects of not knowing how to read or write? For a grown-up or a kid? Uh, well, from a child going into adulthood. What we're seeing is more um, students at an alarming rate dropping out yep. by eighth grade. By eighth grade. Mm -hmm. Wow. So they're not even making it to high school. Right. They're dropping out of school. What ballpark is the rate? 
Um, depending in Philadelphia, the area that we're focused could be 60%. 60% dropout rate by eighth yes. grade? depending yes. on certain areas in the city. Whoa. Yeah. So the Philadelphia Adverse Childhood Experiences study marked a few neighborhoods that I consider um, like ace, almost like traumatogenic forces within the neighborhood. So there's probably a correlation between. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that it was that high well, at all. Very high. I thought that with truancy laws, that sort of tapered doesn't. No. All right. My naivete. (laughs) But I, I, myself, for anybody who, well, if you listen to the last podcast, you know that I was a high school dropout. So there are other variables. It wasn't that I could not read or write. I was pretty good at it. I was always in the advanced classes for that. It was just social economic. You were, yeah. Yeah, just different things I was going through. So I think that should also be attributed to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, but that impacts. Yeah. That impacts academics. That impacts, and now yes, it's, it definitely it's not even just the academics. It's the socialization. It's the um, social media, the Instagrams, the Snapchat, the Twitter, the access. So kids are afraid to come to school because with this access, they're doing things on social media that are making kids not want to participate and go to school. So what some kids are doing are skipping classes, which eventually starts impacting. Um, their academic performance. Mm-hmm. But or, even with the skipping classes, the school district uh, sends what uh, I call like robocalls or something to parents or the home. So once you skip the class, you skip the whole day, you got a message at home. I used to intercept those messages. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> Oh well, but the point is, it's, it's been documented. <laughs> you know what, Jenny? I hope your mama ain't listening to right. this girl. <laughs> no, I used to get in trouble all the time. But uh, one thing I also want to acknowledge is me being a high school dropout that had an effect on my education as an adult and going into college and continuing on to my education left me slightly behind in a lot of areas that I needed to know things and just my communication. I was always a proficient reader up until 11th grade when I chose to drop out. Mm. I was advanced. I was reading Shakespeare at maybe fourth or fifth grade or maybe third grade, a little bit earlier. But the impact was once I dropped out, I gave up a lot of those skills. Mm. And me communicating even now is hard for me frequent like when I try to verbalize myself and articulate myself I catch myself tripping over my words frequently and it's also because I'm not reading enough and I'm not building my language and building my communication skills as an adult Hmm. if you are a proficient reader by 11th grade you had those skills right you already had the skills I think part of that could be going back to trauma and you associating that I may not have acquired those skills because I dropped out, and you're associating that, and that's just causing you to right. feel like you need to and stutter that's not and the stuff positive. like that. But that's not by <laughs> because if you don't acquire those, so what you know was said is children learn up how to read up to third grade, third and then grade. they switch over to their reading now to learn. So for you to make it to that point, you've already mastered the right. skill level. It's like riding a bike or for me like working out like I'm each day I'm going to go to LA Fitness <laughs> I ride by it and go right to uh, Dunkin Donuts but <laughs> <laughs> I see it <laughs> so my in- 
endurance is not the same when I was going to work out every day where I can just go, you know, and like knock it out. Now it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I see chilies, you know, like, <laughs> you know, so and bringing it back. But I think that's where you now at a different level. Now we're learning more about trauma mm-hmm. yes. and how trauma based is infecting learning and academic. So even for these students who are dropping out of schools, there's so many different factors, such as the areas of what we're looking at or where they're dropping out at, what's impacting that, what's going on in the schools, because unfortunately everybody are not, not, are not wonderful educators as we are, where everybody's treated the same. They've already had a stigma <clears throat> attached to these students, but you come from here, so you're only able to do this. It's, these are my expectations, as opposed to the rigor is not even given to these children, these students to say, you can go beyond this, and I know that you have a capability. Um, I remember talking about stock market, and this child came in and was like, oh, that's like running numbers. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> can you go run those numbers for me? So, you know, so, <laughs> I'll think about it. Yes, right. right. <laughs> right. But dissociation to understand, like, we are saying the same thing, but it's, it's coming as different words, but we're talking about the same type of concept. Yes. So, um, even thinking about math, and I always thought I was a, a great, quote unquote, great student and really smart until we started learning about percentages. <laughs> And I was like, what in the world is that? Like, why does it take things off? Why do I put things on? Like, what do you mean? And I struggled. So for me, who was always the most, you know, boisterous person in the classroom, started becoming quiet. So my teacher recognized that. Mm. They said, wait a minute. You're not answering questions. You're not, Mm -hmm. your excitement is gone because I didn't know how to do this. So she said, I have something for you. She took, I gave him, went home with a permission slip. She took me shopping. Yeah. That was my favorite thing I like to do. And she was like, okay. You know, we need to go to these stores because we used to do an annual uh, mm-hmm. toy giveaway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's like, well, we only raised X amount of money, so we got to find things that have percent, you know, the percentage off so that we make sure we can get more things. Cool. And so then she was like, okay. So we went around different things. Well, how much is it going to cost? How much is it going to cost? And I was just like, oh, da 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 So she was giving me my test on percentages right then and there. Wow. So, there you go. Can I interrupt for a second? Mm-hmm. Because, so, Back in My Day has become my favorite segment. And I so thoroughly look <laughs> forward to it. Back in his day. <laughs> Did, she, that teacher doesn't have to be the answer. But I'll ask the prompt. And if that is the teacher, I would be interested how you answer the rest of the question. Uh, but the Back in My Day for this episode is, reflect on a teacher who made an impact on your life today. Who are they? And how did they help you achieve your goals in life? So it sounds like she did so. Yeah. So if you want to kind of lead us off, Jenniki. And- she did. She didn't. She, because the year before I had a horrible teacher. And I think that was because I thought I was, like I said, intelligent and stuff like that. But she, which is horrible. <laughs> um, so I think my math, you know, focus and the way I thought about math, like was I couldn't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but Mrs. Pierce. Um, by doing that and recognizing and building relationships with all of us and understanding where my strengths were and use my utilize my strengths to capitalize on my weakness to make me now stronger um, she's actually set a tone for me even in the future um, as an educator to remember that like you have to meet students where they are and the powerful of that three letter, three letter word yet 
I can't do this yet. Thank you for sharing. Peggy, do you want to share? Um, so, yeah, mine is interesting. Um, so I wasn't born here. I was born in Fort Pierce, Florida. So I was raised in Wilkes-Barre, PA. And in Wilkes-Barre, PA in 1959, it really wasn't a lot of me yeah. there. Uh, so when I started kindergarten, my kindergarten teacher was Mrs. Lapata. I loved her. She had dark black hair. I thought she was a sister because I was like, oh, look at her. She looks like me. But she... I stood at the door and, you know, the kids were all talking to each other and she just looked up and she said, class, I want you to meet Peggy. Say good morning. And they all said good morning. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And she said, I have a seat for you. I didn't have to go look for a seat or anything like that. Kind of like sat down and I thought, oh, this is going to be a good year. And my other teacher was Mr. Sparks, my 10th grade advanced biology teacher who taught me all about genetics. And I just love science with him. He was, he was the cat's meow. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and to this day, I still like science and STEM and stream. <laughs> yeah. You want me to go? Of so for me, uh, the first person that came to my mind was uh, my high school. So he coached me in football my freshman year on the freshman oh, football cool. team. And then the next three years, he was my varsity baseball coach. So I knew him as Coach Ortiz. But also my senior year, he was my history teacher. Um, and he taught me so much. We still, every once in a while, will communicate, especially when I was going through my master's program. He was still there for me as a resource wow. to kind of talk through what I was learning. He was getting his EDD at the time. Um, he's now a principal at the high school that I went to. Cool. Uh, so Coach Ortiz... Awesome. Big time. Um, but the thing that I remember most, and again, I might have brought this up in an episode. I can't remember. <laughs> um, so I, I apologize if I'm repeating myself over and over again to our loyal listeners. But, um, <laughs> and we do when, have those. When, uh, <laughs> when Doug, my best friend, passed away um, in a plane crash between freshman and sophomore years of high school. Oh, and school was where we spent time together and that first day back um was so hard because mm. i i just associate i always associated with that first day it like hit me when the school year started like he's gone yeah um and i mean i was broken as soon as i walked into school that day and coach ortiz saw me and literally just like he didn't say anything first time that he had seen me all summer um he just pulled me right into the office, and I broke down. Uh, obviously, wow. he knew what happened. The whole community knew what happened. Um, but just someone putting his arm out there. Mm -hmm. um, you know. And then I, I feel like that moment kind of led to the next three years. We were able to bond both over history, which I loved learning from him, as, as well as baseball, which was my outlet personally. Um, you know, And everything kind of came back, and we would pull from the strength of that loss. Um, and one thing that I remember that day that he always told me, uh, he said, you're allowed to be sad, but don't use it as a crutch. Right, right. You know, you can feel and you can cry and that's okay. Uh, but don't expect for people to feel sorry for you. Right. You know, you're too strong, keep moving forward. And you know, so all the stuff about history, all the stuff about baseball, that was probably the most valuable lesson um, that he taught me. But Coach Ortiz, if you're listening, shouts out. out. Absolutely. I want to 
acknowledge my teacher, Paul Boyle. He's a police officer now. He's not a teacher anymore. One thing I want to say about him that he has impacted my life is that he always told me, John, you can't look at it one way. You have to realize that it happens in multiple ways and use it in multiple ways. So look at it from different angles. And that's impacted me at every aspect of life that I have to tackle an issue. Because if you look at it multiple angles, you'll find more than one solution to the problem. Another teach, well, the multiple teachers, I want to acknowledge every single history teacher that I've ever had <laughs> because that's my thing. I love history. Yes. If it wasn't for history, I would not have the knowledge about different cultures, different religion, well, cultures, religion, but different things that I would not know about. And reading these books and knowing about these cultures and different backgrounds and history the impact that history has made on us overall uh has really benefited me i'm tripping over my words because i'm trying to rush You're doing a great <laughs> job. but i want to say thank you and what's next for you peggy and jenicky and the read to succeed program what's next um the program is still going on for the summer because we have part two uh, since this summer, it's probably one of the longest summer that the school district of Philadelphia will have, mm -hmm. that we still have another six weeks roughly before the students go back to, into a school building. So what do you do? So we're the neighborhoods that we serve as students this summer, we are planning one-day events to come back out um, to sh share, continue to share other ways of preventing summer slides. Weekly, we'll now be sending out emails. We'll be posting things on our social media outlets, on our website, just tips on what you can do, um, where you can go, like North Light. Um, another place is just to provide support for you and for your families and children, as well as starting to build relationships with other organizations and partnerships so that summer slide just doesn't happen in the summer. We want to start preventing it throughout the school year. I want to close this out by going over a quick quote. I was going to do a different quote by Aristotle, but we don't have <laughs> enough time for that. So what I'm going to do is talk about um, Never Judge a Book by its Cover. And I think when dealing with children and their reading styles that came across throughout this podcast, never judge that book by its cover. Learn that the child has different ways of learning and learn how to help support that child. Homework does not help support that child. That's right. Um, I would like to thank MNYK Studios. I usually say Maniunk Studios. It is, an, it is Maniunk abbreviated, but it is uh, MNYK Studios. Yes. Uh, thank you, Jenneke. Thank you, Peggy. I would also like to acknowledge Danielle, Jasmine, and all the read specialists who came here over the course of the summer. If you would like to donate to Northlight, you can text. Not go to our website, but you can also text us at... NLC, I mean, 43506, and just send NLCC at that number. If you text 43506, send NLCC, and you can donate money to us. I would also like to acknowledge one more thing. Why the heck can we always hear the paper in the background, but you can never hear me in the podcast? I never get that. Like I hear John, the with the way that you're talking there, I think that we're going to be able you. to hear we heard you. you John. <laughs> yeah, your voice is getting much better. Oh, Have yeah. a great um, night, everyone. You too. Thank you.